welcome to another episode of by side hippies uh today we have with us a really really special entrepreneur who has achieved massive success in her life and uh su- this is the success i wish even i can come to at some point in my life uh we have today mabel chako who's been described by the business world as the first lady of the new banking hi mabel how are you doing hi asim wonderful uh, great to have the session with you i'm super excited to do this with you mabel uh, you know mabel you have been super successful been backed by tiger global uh, 314 capital best vc funds raised a lot of money uh, you did a series b round a uh, couple of years back Uh, so can you please tell me what is this idea uh, which you have what your startup open i mean it's 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 a very big startup so but i want to understand what is it really about so open is a new bank uh, focused at small businesses for the sme for the startups and the small business owners um, the problem we are trying to solve is that business banking has always been uh, you know broken for small businesses everything once you've grown up uh, as a company as a business you know everything is sorted for you but when you are in the grind of you know building your business from scratch that is when you need a lot of support but all of this is not available you're always on the retail side of banking so uh, in addition to that uh, you know businesses tend to use a lot of tools um, to manage their finances which uh, is completely disjointed from the entire banking layer where all the money movement happens um so that's what got us uh, started on neo banking neo banking is uh, nothing but building it's a fintech uh, it it's all, it's all about solving the problems faced by your customer segment in case of open it is small businesses and uh, bringing it and binding it to the banking layer so there is the banking layer the regulated banking layer where all the banking license and all is held and you take that and you build uh, all the services around it or on top of it and uh, you know that's that is what is neo banking it's a little different from digital banking uh, you know given by regulated entities like banks um, here we don't have the license to uh, run a bank uh, we don't have a banking license of our own but we partner with a bank uh, in the uh, or or with multiple banks and uh, build all the other tools and services for the user segment around the banking layer that is provided by the regulated banking entities got it so as i understand a neo bank uh, uh, bases its business model around the traditional banking um, yeah. entities which are already existing so uh, say a smb startup cannot go to say an hdfc and do all their banking transactions uh, easily and smoothly so that is the gap you saw and uh, this is what open does builds the layer around cushioning around the bankings uh, the traditional banking uh, for the startups and uh, your smbs is my understanding correct here a little different uh, that is anyway uh, solved by the traditional banking layer what neo banking does is it uh, builds a lot of other tools and brings it together along with the banking layer in order to solve uh the needs of the user segment so in in case of open it is small businesses 
small businesses use a lot of tools for accounting, for payment collection, for reconciliation, for raising invoices. So what we did at Open was we built all these tools along with the banking layer or around the banking layer to give a more holistic solution to the small business owner. So instead of going to 10 different tools and 10 different interfaces, everything gets managed on one single platform. Got it. Um, in Got case it. of, you know, similarly in case of say consumer new banks like Jupiter, like Neo, um, they would be having different customer segments, say millennials. Um, so uh, say if we are flatmates and you know we're sharing a room, uh, sharing a flat and expenses around that, what Jupiter allows you to do is uh, have a shared account where you put in all the expenses, help uh, you know uh, manage uh, and streamline whatever expenses are there, and then uh, get an overall insight of what what got spent in in for food, what got spent for shopping and other expenses. So it gives a smarter layer around the uh, banking account that the user would be having. Got it. Mabel, I believe uh, you got the neo-banking uh, concept in true sense. In Asia, uh, you were the pioneers of the neo-banking. Uh, now, four years later, uh, you started in 2017. Now, four years later, how big has this sector got according to you? So uh, the segment is really huge. Uh, the segment that we alone cater to, uh, that open caters to is the SME new banking segment. And there are more than 51 million SMEs that are there in India uh, that need to be catered to. So there's space enough for not just one, but multiple uh, SME focused new banks. Uh, the market is even larger on the consumer side, uh, you know, where, where there could be use cases for students, for millennials, for young professionals, first time workers, um, different uh, segments of people who use, uh, you know, uh, foreign exchange, um, for, who need to travel abroad, a traveler's account. So there are different use cases that are, that could be solved. And overall, the huge, the global market they say is growing at a CAGR of roughly forty-five to forty-seven percentage wow. uh, year on year. And uh, by two thousand twenty-seven, approximately, the uh, you know it's going to be a five hundred billion dollar uh, market. That is their uh, to solve for uh, globally. Wow! So, are you planning to expand to other regions uh, outside Asia as well? But currently, yes, you're focusing. No, uh, while today we are focused at the Indian market, over the next few years, uh, would definitely see open going global towards the Southeast Asian market, towards the European as well as the US market. Got it. Uh, so uh, maybe I'll request you if you can tell me two things. Uh, firstly, what was the story behind starting Open? How did it all start? Uh, I mean, you were working at Citrus and then you went on with another startup. Uh, and what is, uh, why did you name it Open? Sure. Uh, so it's a, a bit of a, you know, uh, if, if I may say a personal plus, of, you know, research kind of a thing that led us to starting open. So somewhere these were all the challenges that whatever I'm solving for today are the same challenges I faced when I was doing my previous startups and have done four before, four fintech startups before starting open. Um, so these are the challenges that I started with and I always saw it as a personal challenge. Maybe I wasn't educated enough, but uh, the way I figured out uh, during my interactions through my role at Citrus Pay and, and at PayU with other merchants and other SMBs, I figured out this was a problem that everyone was facing. Um, every startup was going through the same challenge and every 
small business owner was going through the same challenges that I was facing. That banking happens where all the money is coming uh, coming in and going out, but then you have this friendly CA who has to go through your bank statement and you need to underline everything and tell them uh, exactly what this income was for or what this expense was for. And that is the kind of problems faced by small businesses because ultimately uh, on your bank statement, you only see 16, 17 digit UTR numbers through which you have to reconcile all of that. So we started working on this on solving this problem by saying that if I can make the banking layer any more smarter by integrating a lot more tools into the banking layer, then I will be able to tell them that, hey, this is an invoice that you raised to a scene for a freelance project and that has got paid. Or, uh, you know, this is a bill that you raised to your computer vendor and, you know, this is the payment you have done for buying a laptop, uh, which is also an asset to the company. And hence, at the back end, your entire accounting uh, becomes auto-reconciled and you, you're able to get a clear picture of you know, what your income, what your profit, what your loss uh, is looking like at, on a regular uh, interview, not just when you meet your CA friend. Mm. Got it, got it, got it. You know, and uh, while we... open, um, yeah. I'll answer the second question as well. Um, well, the segment is called open banking where, you know, banks expose APIs for two fintechs and you know you consume it so that is the technical part of the answer the fun part of the answer is um, that if you go to any business when it's operational you'll find the name open we are open open closed uh, yeah. uh, written in front of their tags so we somewhere derived it at this you know juncture that that's something that resonates with any business owner it's a very well thought out name uh, Mabel, uh, since you mentioned about how like uh, we how it all started, uh, and you've been doing and and you've already done four startups, and uh, this startup massively took off. Uh, and your previous four startups, you had mentioned even in one of your uh, interviews that uh, the tip you'll have for someone doing a startup is uh, fail fast. Uh, it took you four startups to figure out the product market fit uh, so i just want to understand like when you started out before versus when you when you are here now how has been the industry for entrepreneurs how has it changed when you started in 20 uh, 2006 uh, how was it like then did you have enough funding available were vcs even around and how is it now for you what's the difference you've seen and the mentality of people you know people branching out doing something cool for themselves what do you think the entire um, you know startup ecosystem has evolved a lot. Um, you know now, even you go to a small town, you would be able to find uh, you know startup ecosystem of its own. Uh, when I started, I started in Ahmedabad, and you know in those days, Ahmedabad is a great place for business, and you know it's the hub for businessmen. But they are all the you know traditional businesses, not the ones who understand equity funding models and and things like that. So, you know. People really, uh, when I said that, you know, I'm a startup entrepreneur, there was always this clash between, you know, how you will be profitable and, you know, whether you go chasing profit or you uh, chase growth and, you know, uh, see your valuation increasing. So people who understood that uh, kind of growth was limited in Ahmedabad. People, there were great people to mentor you for on the business side of things, but uh, very few people to mentor you on the startup side of things. Um, plus, uh, you know, in those days, uh, 
all the venture funds, all the investors are either in Bangalore or in Mumbai or Delhi. So that's somewhere, you know, the reason I decided to move from Ahmedabad to Bangalore back then in 2006, 2007 uh, to start you know, uh, doing my startup. So Anish, my co-founder uh, back then also shifted from Kerala to uh, Bangalore along with me because, you know, Kerala was similarly going through a, you know, very early growth of startup ecosystem in, in those point of time. And Bangalore already had an ecosystem. Um, there was Head Start, there was Proto, there was Open Coffee Club and you know, a lot of places where we could go out and reach out to people who could guide us or mentor us um the access to capital and various other things things have changed a lot and i'm really glad it has changed for good uh, because another mabel would not have to move out of Ahmedabad, or another anish would not have to move out from kerala because of the good work being done by kerala, kerala startup mission and you know head start and a lot of other such forums in in these uh, you know uh, cities smaller uh, towns and cities and uh, today the scene is uh, it doesn't matter if you're coming from a small town you could be sitting in uh, a small town in, uh, say, you know, say you could be sitting in Ranchi or you might be sitting in some other remote place, but still uh, you do have, uh, you know, uh, ways to access, plus the entire digitization and all of this has made it so much more accessible uh, for knowledge to be shared across digital platforms and to be consumed. So you, even if you are sitting somewhere uh, in a very remote part of, in of India, you will still are able to listen to podcasts, you're able to attend webinars or uh, events that you, otherwise you would have had to spend a lot of money and travel to main cities for. And uh, this is actually a great time to be an entrepreneur in India. No, it's a, it's a crazy story because uh, I see that, I mean, you came from a very professional, uh, you're a very professional family background, your parents were bankers for about 40 years. Uh, so how was it like, uh, you know, telling your parents that, hey, I don't want to take the already taken path and I want to do entrepreneurship, especially in 20, uh, in, in 2006 and seven, when there were hardly uh, any entrepreneurs uh, and especially uh, starting out as a women entrepreneur. How was it like for you, Mabel? My challenges were not more with my family because my parents being bankers and my mom having dealt with, you know, mom, dad, both mom was with IDBA Bank, dad was with State Bank of India. They've dealt with a lot of entrepreneurs. So when I told them I want to be an entrepreneur, they exactly knew what kind of support uh, I would require uh, in terms of sustaining myself and things like that. So my challenges were not so much, you know, on, on convincing my parents. Yeah, they didn't expect me to be an entrepreneur. Um, they always, you know, I come from a generation that where we were taught the doctor ka bicha, doctor Baniga. So everyone thought I would be another banker because both my parents were bankers. Yeah. And I've grown up looking at, you know, balance sheets and, you know, all these things mm -hmm. that happen around and conversations at home were also around these things. So, but somewhere, uh, you know, uh, when I told them that, uh, listen, mom, dad, I understand you want me to be a banker or you, my mom wanted me to be an IAS officer. Um, I, when I told her that, you know, listen, I want to start up, I want to do something of my own. Uh, that's when, you know, she was like, okay, I understand you have an individuality and, you know, you want to chase something. Uh, it's okay. You can go ahead and, you know, try out your experiments, but if you don't get it, you better write the PO exam that your dad is sending you <laughs> to write and get a job in State Bank of India. So, uh, yeah, I did not see so much of resistance from my parents. Uh, they were really happy that, 
um, I was coming out to be the individual, individualistic the way they had, or independent the way they had thought I should be. But um, yeah, I faced a lot of other challenges. I was a non-tech uh, person. So uh, being a non-tech person trying to build technology is always a challenge. Um, there was there were times I used to resort to engineering college students to be, uh, you know, give them a final year project that could be cool uh, so that I could get the MVP of my prototype uh, out uh, in the market. There were a lot of challenges I faced while trying to do biometric payments in 2006, 2007, because at that time there was no Aadhaar and uh, every time I would go trying to capture, uh, you know, biometric using the Chinese leader that yeah. I had managed to put my hand on. Uh, it would give a new, uh, and I was dealing with financial inclusion in those days. So literally going into the villages of Gujarat and trying to talk. So uh, every time the farmer comes out back from the, from the field, uh, there would be a new cut and the same leader would not recognize it as the same uh, fingerprint of the same person. Uh, the other part of the challenge was all the men uh, in villages used to think that I would run away with their property by capturing their biometrics. So it was always the women who would give me the fingerprint for sampling. And uh, mm. so those are some of the challenges that were there. Uh, it's a good thing to laugh uh, about right now, but uh, when you're facing it in the grind, it can get really, really frustrating uh, in those days. But yeah, uh, there was all these lessons that I got learning right in the very first startup. Uh, it said with cash next, I presume yeah. when you yeah. started up. It has, to be, it has to be evolved into cash next. I had when I moved down to so cash next was started by Anish in Kerala. I was trying to do touch to pay in uh, Gujarat, and uh, somehow I was facing a lot of technology and technology uh -huh. glitches. I was not able to build the MVP um, that is completely required, but I was good at alliances and talking to banks. I was good at DD and Anish uh, was the technical, you know, guy who was the who is the product innovator kind of soul. So he had cracked the MVP, but he was struggling to reach out to banks. So that's where our synergies met, and I decided to join him on his journey with uh, Cashnext because that had already got a product in place. Hmm, got it. Now I understand the timeline, how it actually happened. Well, I, what really is still sticking to my head is how you left uh, your city uh, to come to Bangalore. You made that sacrifice and just to come to a place to even get an opportunity, get a shot at doing what you want to do. And uh, this actually put things, a lot of things into perspective that being an entrepreneur at the end of the day is very, very challenging. You need to be doing in the right place opening a startup wow it's just uh it reminds and, me of uh, just on that point i see there's one thing that you know uh would like to mention that the transition to come to a big city like bangalore and uh, the cost of living here uh, anish yeah. and i were not able to afford a you know uh, paying deposit for a house or something so and we used to really struggle in those days we were living on 20 or 30 rupees which meant that uh, you're just eating tiger biscuit and chai for a straight eight, nine months that we struggled to set up a uh, base in, uh, in Bangalore. So some days, you know, we used to get these coins that we used to save up. And the moment we save uh, 200, 300 rupees, we would go to one of these uh, local darshini hotels and have a proper sambar rice kind of meal 
because all the other days we would just be eating tiger biscuit and chai throughout the day, all two or three meals that we used to be able to manage. So that was, yeah, there was a lot of struggle. It's, uh, I can say that, you know, our parents uh, were supportive, but not so supportive as to open up their purses and tell us that, you know, use our life savings to go and build it. Uh, we, we did see a lot of struggle together uh, in building CashNext. And when CashNext was acquired by a Latin American company, that was our first, you know, even though it was a very small amount, but a little bit of a relief to our uh, survival struggles that we were facing at that point of time. Amazing. From Tiger Biscuit to uh, Tiger Global, <laughs> I think that's a <laughs> pretty, uh, and with 30 million Tiger Global funding, I think that is a great journey to uh, have one thing stuck around as a tiger. <laughs> no, but uh, seriously, I think that's a really aspirational story, uh, Mabel. Um, and um, I can only imagine how hard it would have been, in, especially in those days when even the people aren't that accepting. They're like, you know, kar rahe ho? job le lo. Uh, Did you ever have that thought when you were struggling? Okay, boss, let's let's just forget about this. Let me just, you know, write the UPSC exam or just, you know, take up a job like a lot of people did. Uh, back in those days? See, even those days, getting a job was not that easy as well, right? So after a second startup failed together, uh, we did near two tutors into NFC payments in 2009 and 2000, uh, you know, uh, that was uh, 2010 actually. And it was quite difficult at that point because Whatever we had saved up, we had completely dried up on that. And then it was inevitable that one of us had to take up a job. And um, Anish being a dropout, it was not any easy. Uh, but it was the kindness of some other entrepreneurs who, you know, saw the passion that we were having. And, you know, Anish did take up a full-time job for uh, one and a half years before we started on our next, uh, you know, journey together. This is... Uh... It's just aspirational, uh, Mabel, you know, I mean, so over the past, these hard years you've had, and now you've made it in a big way. It's, it, it's like, uh, you know, you have this uh, common analogy in India, like how like, you know, people come with just one ticket uh, to say Bombay to become an actor and one of them takes off. It's like, a, I mean, of course, it's a lot more calculated here, a lot more, you know, it's a lot more about you than about luck. But yeah, it's a crazy story. Uh, I just want to understand what, say, what the startups you did, uh, past four startups, you did, what were the learnings you had got across your like 15, 16 years before you actually did the right thing at Open? What was it at Open which worked? And what was it not that did not work? And how did you use that to grow open? So uh, my biggest learning in this entire journey of doing startups is that you should really know who your user is. Because unless you you really understand that, unless you truly know whom you're building things for, uh, the chances of you failing are really, really high. Right? Uh, a simple example, I was trying to do NFC payments at a time where NFC really didn't exist in the Indian market. Even today, NFC phones are really there, you know, there uh, to see. And it's only now that you know contactless, even in the form of cards, uh, is uh, being spoken about. So almost, you know, think of me doing this almost 10 years back uh, in 2010, 2011, trying to build a NFC payment infrastructure. And, um, and that was way too early. 
and uh, the reason for getting on that journey was because while doing cash next uh, which was also a contactless technology but at a different level a near sound data transfer kind of a, a contactless technology uh, nfc was being popularized by citibank in the indian market at least in bangalore they had done a pilot with at forum mall at one of the malls where they had where they had deployed nfc terminals and uh, there was this huge uh, you know uh, talk in the banking world about how nfc is going to crack the future of payments and there were a lot of reports market research reports like gartner report and a bunch of others that were uh, uh, mentioning about how nfc is going to be the really the future of payments uh, globally there were a lot of pilots that were happening in malaysia in dubai uh, and similar markets to india and which is where we started building this entire nfc payment infrastructure that we were trying to build. um but what and the uh, you know there were a couple of ways we could do that but because we were dealing with feature phones not even smartphones in those days uh, there were very simple you know uh, hooks in which you could convert a smartphone a feature phone into an nfc device one was either by changing the memory card or uh, the other one was changing the sim card and the moment you're trying to change the sim card which is the route that we had taken uh, you always acquire a mobile operator into the into the play uh, when you try to do such kind of things we built the entire tech rail for doing this entire you know uh, sim card nfc based sim card issuance conversion of existing phones into nfc devices plus the you know payment part of doing merchant transactions uh, using nfc devices we built the entire tech for it we to we spent almost one and a half years trying to build a tech where all i should have done was just walk up to another friend another person on the road and say that hey if i give you the sim card uh, that has got these amazing capabilities would you change your sim card and if i ask you that question even today asim i'll give you a sim card would you change your sim card your answer would be no right so so much for building all of it when i should have just spoken to the user and found out that the user would not change the sim card that's something that that's a very big decision for someone the number changes in those days mobile phone number portability was not even a question right uh, so why would some dual sim phones did not exist so why would someone change his sim card just because it was a little more cooler or gave him some access to contactless payments i learned it the hard way with near duty uh, instead of focusing on what uh, you know we were hearing on the banking world the true customer was the person the consumer who was going to use the change his sim card and we should have spoken to him and not just to the bankers who were uh, you know on the watch out for this technology um, so in many ways knowing who the user is is one key learning and secondly you know being there at the right time uh, knowing when the pain point is solve something that is real right now don't solve for something that's going to be Two years or three years later, that was my learning at Switch because Switch was okay. uh, a payment platform for startups. Uh, we we had a lot of technology that was very similar to what Stripe was op- offering in the global markets. Correct. But we Correct. were just six or seven months ahead of time, and we ran ran out of steam uh, before we could raise funds. So these are two key learnings for me. Know who is the who the user is very clearly. and uh, solve something that is real that is a problem today and not for something that's futuristic got it got it now i think uh, you correctly pointed out the timing uh, see stripe was of course one example but why charge be worked 
uh, in India, probably probably is also because of the timing factor. You know, they came at the time when you know things were super new, but this was the need in the market. Uh, and thank you for these insights. So, uh, as I see it, how does it translate to learnings for new age entrepreneurs? Uh, so, do you when you say identify your customers, how would say if I want to start up? How will I identify my customer, my true customers? Will it be by just talking to people or I don't know, just seeing uh, trends, reading market reports. How do you, how did you figure out Mabel? You, you have 16 years of experience of actually figuring out who the customer, like after a while you figured out, how does it work out, Mabel? If I have to say, read market reports uh, alone and you get, you can build the whole thing. I did that and I failed. Um, there were a lot of market reports around NFC payments in, in uh, globally in India, available to Indian entrepreneurs. So it was, you can't just do a shortcut and read a market a market report. They are there to give you great insights of what is happening, because otherwise you would never know how you know uh, what is the scale at which things are growing. But, so you must read market reports, but there's no shortcut to talking to people, going out there. If you think you're building something for millennials, please go and talk to millennials. Try and understand how they understand and how they interact with interfaces or how they, you know, use apps. How do they prioritize things? Unless you do that, there is no shortcut to, you know, saying that I'll read up a report about millennials and I'll build something for that. Similarly, if you're building something for SMEs or small businesses, go out on the field and talk to small businesses. Um, that's when you will realize what their true challenges are. What where they are spending a lot of their time on a, on a daily basis, what could be optimized and what is it that uh, would mean, uh, what would be a useful tool for them uh, compared to just going with the hypothesis that this is what they require. Second uh, important aspect is uh, whatever you do, don't wait to build the whole thing all together end to end and then go to the user and try to build whatever is the minimum viable prototype, the MVP. Uh, if you have a, 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 a you, if you have a hypothesis, go out, talk to the user, build whatever uh, you've heard as for their needs. Once you build that, put it to the same set of users and try and see how they are interacting, whether they are taking it up or not. Uh, in, in doing so, you would realize that if you're going in the right direction, then great, you can go ahead and build all the other layers around it. If it's not working out, you know, you're, you've gone out on a, you know, wrong hypothesis, maybe you'll have to do discussion and uh, pivot from whatever your first hypothesis was. Got it. So feel fast. Whatever you do, feel, feel fast. Can you give me an example when you were building open? Of course, you had 10 years of experience uh, coming uh, when you were building this, but can you give me an example when you started open. Did your initial hypothesis change? And how many iterations you actually did uh, to actually get to the final product? If you can just give me an example. Sure. So when we started open, the initial almost seven, eight months was about finding the right banking partner who was you know, uh, willing to support us in this vision. But once we did that, we uh, launched. And in the meantime, we were building our you know, wait list of uh, customers to whom we could roll out our very first beta version. The very first beta version of Open just had a virtual account. So you come in, you sign up, you get a instantly you'll get a account number and a uh, a digital only account. So you would get an IFSC code and an account number to which you can give to all your clients to make payments to. And uh, there was a basic invoicing uh, you know functionality that we had we had built. And this is what we gave out to our beta users. 
what we figure out here, uh, and then there was a function to uh, link any of your other existing current account, accounts or savings accounts and take the money out. So what businesses used to do is they would share these account numbers or create multiple of these account numbers for their various clients. And uh, they would uh, you know, collect all the payments and the money would instantly move out. The moment the money comes in, the money automatically moves out uh, into another account. So not automatically, but the businesses tend to take it out to another linked account within the same day or within 48 hours of the money coming in. So there was no retention of money on the platform, right? But we figured out that yes, collection uh, is a problem, and this is a you know uh, finally getting a digital only kind of account is something that is a hypothesis that is real. It is not something that is a fake hypothesis that we were working on. So we understood we were going in the right direction, but then we put a, put our focus on what would make the business owner retain the money on the platform, and mm -hmm. we understood that they still require a platform the need for a proper current account, right? And that's when we started talking to our banking partners that this is our hypothesis, this is scale that we reached with this. And this is the ask and, you know, can we start working on ways in which we can give an actual current account uh, along with the platform. So that came in as the, you know, final version of the product that we put out. And that literally saw the entire, you know, numbers rocketing uh, after that, because we had solved something that was a real problem uh asked by the users uh supported by the banking partners got it thank you for this example because a lot of people you know when you speak about uh, concepts in abstract of course it looks great and people who have experience will only understand it but since you've actually broken it down to the zilch it really provides a perspective okay what it actually took to get this going uh, and since you've spoken about now the fintech sector, the payment sector, you know, fintech is one of the rising uh, sunrise sectors in India. Uh, very uh, like payments were hot at one point of time, a couple of years back, and disruption disrupted the whole uh, this fintech space. Where do you think now the fintech is going to be heading uh, in the coming few years? What's going to happen? It's going to be going to a point where anyone can be a fintech. Uh, there's something called embedded fintech that we started hearing of uh, during, you know, ever since January 2020. Limited fintech, uh, you said limited fintech. Embedded fintech. Embedded fintech, okay. So get, if fintech services getting embedded into anything and everything, uh, into any layer or into any industry. For example, uh, say a food delivery startup wanted to offer a savings account to their delivery boys or to a marketplace. Okay. Uh, wanting to offer their own branded, uh, you know, uh, settlement, uh, their own branded account, bank account to the sellers who are there on the platform. Uh, a school wanting to open, uh, open and, uh, you know, offer banking, uh, bank, uh, bank accounts for their students. So this, you know, uh, any any place or any service or any industry you take, fintech getting embedded into uh, these services and uh, you know that is what is going to see that's what is going to that you would be able to see in uh, the market growing towards over the past next uh, three or four years got it got it uh, thanks for this perspective i thanks for just like pointing out now i will also search for it what is it about read more about the embedded fintech space uh mabel i wonder like when you raise so much money series b you did uh, 314 capital tiger global what sort of 
probing questions do they essentially look for at growth stage level can you give me some perspective on that and how do you actually do you convince these guys to give us the money or do they come to you and say take our money how what is this dynamic how does it work out it never comes as you know you come uh, they don't come to you and say that take our money it, it never happens that way uh, but every round and every stage of a startup is a new journey and it's a whatever worked for you in series pre series a will not work in series a series b story series c is another story altogether so yeah. uh, every round is different every uh, you know, what you get judged for uh, or you know what what you get uh, measured against uh, in each round is completely different first it's about you know getting your mvp out then it's about how many users you acquired then it's about how many users you retained uh, then it's about you know what is your monetization like then it's about you know how do you see growth and scale what is your arr like so every round is very different and it's very different for different industries for different kinds of startups it's not like you know what worked for uh, us is the same textbook model that would work for someone else um, but a couple of basic things that anyone any round would see or at least getting your first check uh, out um, you know they do evaluate you on basis of what your team is like what your team's uh, experience about for what you're doing uh, how strong founders are and uh, uh, and then you know about the segment that you're working about uh, what is the kind of growth and potential that you would be able to achieve uh, in that segment so very initial rounds those are the stories but then story gradually goes into arr uh, kind of discussions as well got it got it so i believe uh, at series b uh, an arr is more probing question than the background of the at founders uh, at series c uh, it is more about the uh, arr uh, see it is very different for different startups so uh, what i would say it were it was for me is very different for it could be someone uh, it could be different for someone from the same uh, industry as well so it is unique to some it is very unique to uh, every startup but overall yeah series c onwards you know you need to show your revenue your monetization that is the ideal benchmark at which uh, you know uh, things the rubber really hits the road hmm hmm well thanks a lot uh, for this uh, insight as well uh, i we don't have like a lot of series c series d series b entrepreneurs so i think all this inside you're telling putting out is actually something that's very very tribe knowledge or a tribe knowledge thing uh so uh, maybe one last question can you give one parting tip for an entrepreneur who wants to be at your place uh if you just one parting tip maybe find great co-founders um in whatever you're doing because they are the ones who have to stick to you uh, through the entire grind and uh, be prepared to work it really really hard there are no shortcuts uh, to it uh, there is there is no shortcut to succeeding um, and building a startup and then be prepared with your vision at least mentally um, on how you're going to build it as a culture in your company you know the startup is one part of it it's always a smaller team but the moment it becomes the company uh, that is where you know you need to build the culture you need to build a, you know connect with the people who work on your vision 
uh, and those are some things that define the trajectory that your startup takes off on. Thank you so much, Mabel. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Uh, I really had a lot of fun doing this. So thanks a lot for this opportunity, Asim.